The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Podcast, presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Welcome to the AV Podcast. In this week's software edition, we have the latest DVD and high-definition news. Chris McAnini reviews The Chronicles of Narnia, the four-disc collector's edition. Kaz Harlow reviews A Scanner Darkly on Region 1 DVD. And in our roundtable this week, we discuss whether the book is better than the film or other cases where the films are better than the books. From AV Play, it's this week's DVD and HD news and reviews. And it's time for this week's DVD and high definition news. And as you can appreciate, as we're only a week away from Christmas, there's not a lot coming out this week or the following weeks. However, we have found a few snippets of news. And first of all, it's Seth Gecko. Well, the first snippet of news for horror fans is that The Grudge 2 is coming out on Region 1 DVD this February. For those who aren't aware of the movie, it's the sequel to Takeshi Shimuzu's uh, original USA-produced The Grudge, as opposed to the um, Japanese original. Um, and as usual, it follows the uh, story of the supernatural curse which has been unleashed upon the victims who enter that particular house. The twist, however, is that now it's going to spread across the world. So I think they're um, expanding it beyond the remit of the original. But if that kind of thing is your bag, then look out for it on the 6th of February at around $28. Also coming out in February, February the 20th to be exact, on Region A Blu-ray disc from Sony is a Vertical Limit. This drama-come-action movie set on the side of K2 after a deadly avalanche is available in 1080p 185-1 widescreen with a PCM 5.1 uncompressed soundtrack. Extras for this disc are yet to be announced. Well, for fans of the Final Fantasy games and movie, um, it's the new release of the Region 1 DVD of Final Fantasy VII Advent Children Limited Edition Collector Set. And it's coming out on the 20th, uh, 20th of February, and it's going to be priced at about 50 bucks. Now, while the movie's already been released as a two-disc set, you'll get the original two-disc set in the box set. It'll also include a bonus disc, uh, a script, a book, and postcards, but the actual full details are still yet to be confirmed. And finally, for all those who've gone out and bought Microsoft's HD DVD add-on, on Boxing Day, you can go down to your local store and buy Miami Vice and the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift on UK HD DVD. Features are yet to be announced, but it's very likely that these discs will be identical to the US editions already available. And that's your DVD and high-definition news for this week. Brought to you by AV Forums and AVPlay.com. You're listening to the AV Podcast. The world's longest-lasting batteries from Energizer. Energizer Ultimate Lithium take up to 630 photos in digital cameras, compared to just 90 with ordinary alkaline batteries. Perfect for MP3 players. Ultimate Lithium lasts up to five and a half hours longer and are ideal for when you're on the move. Chances are you're going to need batteries again this Christmas. Choose Energizer Ultimate Lithium. Energizer. It's what's inside that counts. For the biggest and best DVD and HD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. 
Right, I've had the uh, the dubious pleasure of watching the extended version of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe 4-disc extended edition. This is the Region 1 box set. It's been out on Region 2 for, well, a few weeks now, I think. Yeah, it's, well, it's Lord of the Rings light, isn't it? I must admit, I didn't want to say that phrase, but I'm afraid you cannot help but make comparisons between the two. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were obviously, they were quite close. Um, they both conceived their stories, their epic fantasy sagas at roughly the same time. And they are held in as, well, equally high esteem by their, their fans alike. It certainly more swings towards the kids and this lavish movie adaptation from the guy that brought Shrek to the screens. Well, it left me cold, to be honest. It's The child performers are pretty good. I, I, I'm assuming we all know the story. It'd probably be an insult to actually introduce the story of this movie. It's such a well-loved uh, fantasy classic. Certainly, I read it in school. And I'm sure many other people did too. Yeah, the kids in it, um, despite some other reviewers saying that they're absolutely terrible and they're very wooden, I actually quite liked them. I thought they were probably the best thing about the movie. As a family unit, they gelled. There was a bit of texture to them, a bit of character. And yeah, their plight was certainly engrossing when you see it through their eyes. The problem with the movie lies in the sanitised version of what uh, the director thought was C.S. Lewis's fantasy and you know magical kingdom, because it comes across as totally bland. We have none of the texture, none of the character which we've grown used to with films like Peter Jackson's Rings trilogy, which were very immersive, very gritty and realistic. And what sticks in my throat is that um, the director of this particular movie had said many times before the film was released, I'm going for realism here. I want you to believe that Narnia actually existed and that all of these events actually happened. Well, in the rather sanitized and hollowed out version that he puts on screen, it's very difficult to believe that he believed that himself. Uh, it's, it's colorless, it's uh, humorless, characterless apart from the kids. You have Aslan, the great noble lion Aslan. And who else were they gonna, gonna, gonna get to voice him but Liam Neeson? Which is just becoming plain boring now to have mentors with, you know, movie mentors with Liam Neeson's voice. The Wicked Witch, the one who's controlled Narnia for 100 years, making, making the entire population suffer a 100 year long winter. Well, Tilda Swinton, um, I'm afraid, no, she just doesn't cut the mustard at all. Totally unfrightening, zero menace, not at all the way you imagine the witch to be. The supposed seductive quality that she has when she um, ensnares Edmund, the wayward one of the, uh, the children, is totally lacking, you don't really buy into it. Um, her little dwarf helper, who is a total menace in the book, and um, well, one of the things I remember anyway, um, he's anything but in this. The CG, well, it's ropey to say the, say the best about it. It's uh, it's colourful, but there's no weight, no texture, no depth to it. And appallingly, you have a lot of matte shots here which stick out like a sore thumb. And quite honestly, I find that unforgivable. It happened with Lord of the Rings, again, another coincidence there with these two fantasy epics, where you had shots of the the fellowship in particular going over the mountainside and at the cinema you could quite clearly see that they were superimposed over a matte background well on dvd that was always cleaned up and very very successfully too but i'm afraid the case here is it looks even worse so yeah a lot of it doesn't really gel too well for me i'm afraid and the musical score is appalling again bland insipid and purely derivative um, certainly the, the kids my son loves it other kids that he knows, they all loved it. But I can't help thinking that this is a 
this is not what we expected. You know, the, the bar's been raised quite considerably by Peter Jackson, and this comes nowhere near. However, as a DVD purchase, uh, my God, what a box set this is. I have to say, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed all the documentaries. It's a four disc of this one. The, um, you have the same features which adorned the original two disc release. And they were pretty good themselves. Um, you have the two commentary tracks. Adam Sillin, director, is on both of them. The first one and the better one is him and the kids. And uh, yeah, that's. Although it's a bit quirky hearing them all talking together with like an obviously childlike director giggling away with these kids who are actually a lot older in their own minds than they, they really are because they're actors. Yeah, it's a mix of a few strange little moments, but it's entertaining. Second tra track is um, the filmmakers themselves, and it's very technical, and it's a lot drier, obviously, but still very informative. The best new extra you've got is an entire disc devoted to um, a feature-length Disney movie on C.S. Lewis. Now, this is terrific, absolutely terrific stuff. I don't like the way it's been filmed. It's very MTV style. Snappy editing, the camera's all over the place. But you have numerous participants, you have a very engrossing story told throughout it. And uh, I learned a lot about the writer himself, which I never knew. And I, I found it very, very, very informative and very entertaining. The other two discs have a damn sight more stuff on them. There is a massive documentary, 142 minutes, which is like basically you sit and watch the film again. But the screen is, is split up. You have talking head interviews in one corner. You have previs CG storyboards, rehearsals, behind-the-scenes footage in another box. You have all, and it completely transforms the screen as you watch the movie. Very, very well done. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of almost saw the film in a different light. And another good thing about it is that my little lad actually enjoyed watching the makings of too, which is something he certainly has never done before. And, you know, that you've got you know, to give him kudos for that. So overall, it's a pretty damn good package. AV-wise, um, the picture, well, it's a good enough transfer, but I'm afraid I'm, I don't approve of the, the photography choices that they made for the movie. The colour palette is very sort of muted. Um, even even when, you know, summertime returns to Narnia and everything becomes lovely and golden, the sun comes out and the green meadows spring into life, it still seems very washed out to me, very sort of drab. The scene, the nighttime scenes have a greenish, greenish cast to them. Likewise, when you're in the Ice Palace of the, of the the Witch Queen, again, it's there's a greenish tint. It's deliberate, but it doesn't look right. It's not a fault of the transfer, though. That is exactly how it's it's meant to come across. But what is great about it is the DTS 5.1 track on it, which is absolutely wonderful. Very, very aggressive. All the speakers are utilised. Lots of stuff rushing forwards, rushing backwards. Very good. Totally, totally blew me away. Very impressed by that, by the DTS. It's got a Dolby Digital 5.1 as well, which is very good again, but I'm afraid the DTS wins hands down. So, overall, the film, yeah, for the kids, certainly. I'd give it probably about a 6 or six out of 10, and that's being generous. Extras-wise, perfect. God, you couldn't ask for a better accompaniment to a movie. If you're, if you're a fan of the film, you're going to be in Narnia, Nirvana. If, even if you're not a fan of the film and you appreciate good DVDs, well put together documentaries, well, you know, you're still going to be in heaven with this. Although I didn't like the film, I do love the extra features. So, go figure. For Christmas presents, it's got to be recommended. There's always a kid in your life and I'm sure the kids will lap this one up.
as a package overall, I recommend it. Well, Philip K. Dick is, of course, the uh, man behind Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, and that was made into Blade Runner. He's also the man behind the books that formed the basis for films like Total Recall and uh, Minority Report. And recently, we've just seen his possibly his most personal work, A Scanner Darkly, be brought to life thanks to the director Richard Linklater, who has adopted a very different form of visual artistry to bring it to our screens. Now, A Scanner Darkly itself, I found to be quite an interesting movie. It's all about a group of friends who are all addicted to this strange substance D, which is a drug that makes them extremely paranoid. And one of the group is actually also an undercover drug enforcement agency operative. It might be an FBI, but he's uh, undercover. And because none of his undercover mates know what his real identity is, he's able to monitor himself when he's undercover. Um, and it all leads to a lot of confusion and basically identity crisis for the lead character. But it's typical Philip K. Dick. It's um, it's a commentary on on society, on us watching ourselves, on uh, the drugs that are prevalent in society. It's it's got lots of comments about the situation in society at the time when he wrote the book, and it's also relevant today. I think that the biggest unusual aspect of the movie is the way it's been brought to life which is the rotoscoping which as far as I know is basically filming the actors um, on sets and then taking the film frames and drawing over them digitally well I say digitally but it's a guy with a pen and a pad and he's uh, applying the colours on the computer and making them look like comic book movie uh, for want of a better term, with a lot of detail and stars you'll recognise, but it's a completely new or relatively new form of visual interpretation, and um, it works quite well. Works very well for for Philip K. Dick material. Unfortunately, I didn't fully like the way the movie went. Uh, really got very involved in the characters, but it took a more global. Uh, leap towards the end of the story that um, that took the edge off the sort of dynamic that was established at the outset. But uh, as an experiment in a new type of visual dynamics and um, and as a quite little conspiracy theorist story with lots of political commentary, it's a, it's a good production. In terms of uh, DVD technical specifications, the video was very good. The video presentation is very good. It's a 1.78 to 1 transfer. It's anamorphic, of course. And uh, because the picture is kind of cartoony, they can avoid a lot of the inherent defects that you get with uh, live-action movies. Um, so you've got no grain and uh, no softness, and the line detail is particularly good. And, of course, the colour scheme is is as you'd expect from a comic book movie. Um, in terms of the audio content, the, it's a Dolby 5.1 track, and that's uh, also very good. You kind of ignore the subtleties of the track because you're probably awed by the very different visual aspects of the movie. Uh, the extras include an interesting commentary by the director and Keanu Reeves, the star, 
and a couple of people who know quite a lot about Philip K. Dick. They include um, his daughter and uh, Philip K. Dick historian as well. It's quite a good commentary if you want to pick up on background trivia to Dick himself. Um, there are also a couple of featurettes and uh, the trailer, and overall it's a, it's a nice disc for what was a slightly disappointing movie for me, but perhaps that's because I really did get into it a lot and wasn't that impressed by the way the ending went. And you're going to find sci-fi fans around here going um, to lap it up. It's going to be a must-see for people who love things like Blade Runner, things like that, and who love um, the work of Philip K. Dick and Asimov. Overall, I, I gave it a 7, and that's a, a 7 for the movie, 8 for the video and the audio, 7 for the extras, and as I say, an overall 7. So a good, solid release. It's definitely worth a rental, and sci-fi fans will have to have it in their collection. For more DVD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. This week's Roundtable Discussion, hosted by Phil Hinton. So with Christmas less than a week away, it's time again for our Roundtable Discussion. And no, we're not doing anything festive. Although you may get some books in your Christmas presents this year. And that's what we're talking about. Is the book better than the film? Or are the cases where the film's actually better than the book? On the panel this week, Chris McAnini, Kaz Harlow and Seth Gecko. So guys, who wants to take this one up first? Is it usually the case that the book's better than the film or are there films that are actually better than the books? Well, basically the book is usually better than the movie, isn't it? But there are some very, very major cases which uh, go against that normal trend. Can anyone really argue that Jaws, isn't, Jaws the movie isn't better than Peter Benchley's um, airport lounge pop boiler, which is just a rambling soap opera with a few toothy segments thrown into it. But that's just one example. I mean, let's, let's look around the rest of it. I mean, you've got Stephen King on the flip side of the coin, Stephen King stuff, which is, you know, the books, bestsellers, always bestsellers. Um, his earlier books were definitely the best. But do they make good movies? Well, there's only been a few good movies from, from King's work, hasn't it, so far? I mean, Carrie... Brian De Palma's movie was great. Um, Salem's Lot TV movie, Tobe Hooper did it. Great stuff again. A bit strong for TV, and I've got some very, very chilling memories of it. Was it better than the book? Uh, actually, yes, I think it was. The book was very, very boring, if I remember rightly. The Shining, Kubrick's version of The Shining. The book was very, very scary. It was um, a tremendously atmospheric read, very powerful. The film, yeah, very powerful, very scary. But for different reasons, it jettisons the um, the topiary animals which come to life. It enhances other elements and ditches other 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 elements from it. But overall, the two vie for like very very you know prime position. There's great book, great film. One doesn't cancel the other one out. It's funny that The Shining was then remade again, um, following Stephen King's book for a very lousy TV version. I don't know if anyone caught that, but it was absolutely pathetic. Christine, another Stephen King one. Actually, it was my favourite Stephen King book for quite some time. And then my favourite director of the time came along and directed it, John Carpenter, with very mixed results. Technically great, good cast, but um, was it scary? Uh, no, not really, not at all. Anybody else think of any Stephen King films? Well, the one that's in my top ten, and it was actually a Stephen King short story, was the Shawshank Redemption. 
Shawshank, of course, yeah. I don't know how that slipped my mind. Yeah, but was it better than the book? Well, the book was just a short story, wasn't it? Whereas the whereas the movie, you know, you're, you're talking about a, a three-hour epic, really. And not a lot happens in the movie. Um, but it's, all, it's all mood and character, It's all mood it? and character, though, isn't it? It's... I've not actually read the short story, though. That's, that's the thing. So I couldn't really compare the two. The movie is fantastic now, very definitely. I think what put me off reading the... Um, the short story at the time was the fact that it wasn't a horror story. It also wasn't technically written by Stephen King. Um, he no, issued Bachman. it under the pseudonym of Richard Bachman, and yeah. it was given the title of Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, which would put off any, you know, um, self-respecting horror fanatic. <laughs> well, in the Bachman books, which um, it was part of, um, were quite a departure from uh, King's uh, other works. Yeah, true enough. I mean, you know, The Running Man was one of the other ones. Yeah, which was better than the movie, that's for certain. That's an Arnie, an Arnie film, which um, was, even during his heyday, which I, I'm afraid I consigned to the bin. I thought it was absolute garbage. But wasn't that directed by Paul Michael Glazer, Starsky? Are you asking or telling? I, I'm asking for confirmation, I think it was. I've got a sneaky feeling you're right. Yeah. As everybody goes to the internet movie database to double check. Normally I'm spinning around and check my collection, which is, a lot of it's it, behind me, but I haven't got the film because I don't like it. No, I was going to say I'm with you on that one. I don't think oh, it's, it's a Schwarzenegger movie, so I'm automatically against it. It was indeed Paul Michael Glazer. Yeah, there you go. Starsky. Mm. Other, other movies. Uh, here's one that was a short story which made um, a film that certainly a few of us certainly really, really like. Um, John W. Campbell wrote The Thing from Another World way back in the 1940s, I think. It's part of a collection of short stories. And, of course, it's been, it's been made twice. Both films are brilliant. I love them both. The original um, Howard Hawks version jettisons all the, the interesting bits of um, Campbell's original story, but it's still a great film in its own right. And, of course, John Carpenter went back to Campbell's original story. Um, Bill, son of Bert Lancaster adapted the uh, the short story for his screenplay and kept it very, very faithful, even down to the character names and a lot of the uh, situations and dialogue. Um, but is it better than the story? Well, yes, it is, because <laughs> you can see it. And it's got Kurt Russell in it as well. Can't go wrong. So obviously, Chris, you are the uh, the horror meister amongst us, and um, there's certainly been no end of, of books. We've covered Stephen King, uh, his horrors being made into films. So what else is out there that which you think the book's either better than the film or the film's reached the, the same level as the book? Well, let, let's go back a bit in time then. Let's go back to the, the start of the horror genre. Um, you had Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and, of course, Bram Stoker's Dracula, both of which have had ve very, very many different adaptations and variations made. Uh, do, the, do the films better the books? In Dracula's case, it's a bit difficult to say. Uh, there's been many adaptations, but I like the book of Dracula. It's um, a gothic romance in the original sense of the, of the, the term romance, i.e. it's a travelogue and it's an adventure. It's got a very seductive quality, which only Christopher Lee in the first Hammer, Hammer version of it seemed to capture. Gary Oldman, of course, in uh, Francis Ford Coppola's version, captured again that same quality, but ditched the horror it seemed to like just rely upon imagery, so no, his version didn't, you know, pass muster. If you go down to Bela Lugosi's original version, again, very stagey, very sort of dry and overblown. Not as good, no, I have to say. Uh, the, the book is kind of it's quite racy and exciting in a lot of ways. So Dracula, no, I think I think Bram Stoker's book 
so far has won out um, over the movies. Now, Frankenstein, well, ugh. yes, I've read Frankenstein a couple of times, and it was an, an agonizing thing to do it. I, I read it once when I was a kid. I thought it was very, very boring. It was just a lot of a lot of mumbo jumbo and no horror. Just very, very flaccid in in, in those terms. I then reread it again when um, the Kenneth Branagh version of Frankenstein was about to come out, and once again I found it was just as turgid and as boring as it as it was originally. I know it's a classic, and I'm sorry to the fans of the literary classic that it is, but that's the way I feel. And uh, the, the movies. By and large, I've enjoyed nearly every movie that's been made about Frankenstein far better than the book. Um, Kenneth Brown's version was overblown and a bit silly, but it was very sort of operatic and um, gothic, and its sets were fantastic. And I don't know, I liked it. I actually liked that film, so it bettered the book there. Uh, Hammer's many versions of, of the Frankenstein legend, yeah, I've enjoyed nearly all of those as well, because they bring the horror element back to it. The book doesn't have a great deal. It's agonizingly slow, and it's a tragic story. So no, I, th I think the, the original classics there, uh, Dracula's been saved not as well by the movies. Frankenstein has definitely been bettered by the movies, without a doubt. Um, but going back to some other, um, not so much vintage horror, but uh, classic books now. Uh, Patrick O'Brien, who wrote Master and Commander, and the Jack Aubrey series of books, uh, I had never actually encountered these books before. They were seafaring classics. They were quite. They were all bestsellers, but I never really was interested in that kind of uh, genre until, of course, my favourite actor of the time, Russell Crowe, stepped into Fat Jack Aubrey's boots and paraded upon the deck in um, Peter Weir's fantastic Master and Commander: The Far Side of the World, which actually took two of the books because I began to buy the books then and. Uh, it took the first book and I think the fifth or sixth book in the series. Can't quite remember now which one it was. And uh, it did an exemplary job. Did it better the book? Well, yes, it did because for me personally, the books there, Patrick O'Brien's style is very unique. He really puts you on board those ships. I mean, he, I, I couldn't argue with the way his authenticity of writing about ships because I've got no idea at all. But um, certainly, I believed every word he said. You know, the, the salt of the sea was definitely on every single page of those books. And Peter Weir, when he made his movie, certainly recreated that atmosphere and that aura. And, yeah, the film was exciting. But it was a, it was like a time capsule. Whether you like it or you don't, it was a, a, a brilliantly authentic recreation of uh, what life must have been like on those ships during that particular era. And I loved every minute of it. I would far rather return to the film and another film in the series, which I hope they get around to making, than return to the books as good as they are. So welcome to the Chris Mack Show. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to keep that in, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to keep that in. Anyway, moving on, I think we're obviously missing out on the major fantasy books here, such as Narnia and the, uh, well... What's the other one again? Oh, yeah, something to do with rings, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, something to do with rings and, and lords and, and all sorts. So, yeah. Lord of the Rings trilogy, big movies, but did they get anywhere near the books? By uh, God, yes, they did. Uh, <laughs> again, at the risk of, like, uh, you know, taking over this show completely. Too late. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I read the, uh, the original trilogy, or at least attempted to several times throughout my, my teenage years. Failed miserably on every occasion. I, I did in, I did enjoy elements that I'd read. I had originally seen Ralph Bakshi's animated version, which 
okay, it was a, a film and it was a book and a half that he managed to put on screen. And again, using the that uh, quite infamous rotoscoping process, um, I loved it to be honest. It, it really enchanted me and it frightened me as well. So obviously, I sought the books out and I found the books to be well huge and unwieldy things, and they they just didn't do it for me. Every so often, there were there were songs, there was poems. The the vast complex backstory for everybody. Well, I thought no, I'll shelve these till I'm a bit more mature and I've got a bit more patience. And as the years then went by, I I once again tried them again, failed again, tried them again, failed again. And then of course Peter Jackson came along, and I thought wow, now I I've got no idea what to expect from these movies, but I believed what he said in the advance where he's going to make them gritty, realistic, uh, like these things really happened. And uh, the, the the cast roll call looked amazing. Certainly, um, early sequences that you were shown, the hype got me going, and I thought this looks amazing. Then when I finally saw Fellowship of the Ring, you God, yeah, it blew me away. I loved every minute of it. it. The film just couldn't have gone on for long enough, as far as I was concerned. So yes, part one of it certainly beat the uh, the books. Two Towers came out. Yep, I loved that. Return of the King came out, and it absolutely blew me away. So I've got to say that the films there, and, and I know there's a lot of people listening to this now who are going to be kicking up a stink about it, and like, how can you, you know, you know, say this about you know, what is their basically their Bible, their fantasy Bible? Well, yeah, to me, they are much, much better than the books. They 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 bring a life to the characters who on the page seemed pretty much lifeless and too complex. Really, they brought the battle scenes to the fore. Well, Tolkien didn't do that. You know, he, he basically waffled. You know, Helm's Deep was a paragraph, I remember rightly. And at the end of a chapter, it was all build up, and then it was just overblown and forgotten about. The movie, you know, you had you know a huge sequence in the movie which was you know devoted to it, which of course any carnage junkie worth his salt was going to love that stuff and lap it up. Return of the King, yeah, absolutely amazing. Um, I I can't think of a film which uh, wrecked my emotions and. Uh, devastated me more than that did to be honest I was, every possible emotion under the sun I felt whilst watching that movie and again in this extended cut on DVD the book no way on earth not with Tolkien's writing style could that have done the same had the same effect on me at all so in, in that particular case The Rings courtesy of Mr Jackson has trounced the book or series of books in my opinion. No, Chris, but, but, uh, some some very valid points there, but I've got this feeling that, that Mr. Negative, Mr. Seth Gecko, is going to come in here and and tell us that the books were actually better than the films. No, I was just wondering if the pub was still open. <laughs> just let him go and just, we'll, just, we'll just go down the pub. Yeah, we'll go down the pub let him talk. But, <laughs> That's it. But seriously, Seth, you know, Lord of the Rings, were the, were the books better than the films? Because I, I know you've got a, a deep hatred. Uh, hatred. Of the films, well, I tried. I, I'm with Chris in, in terms of I tried to read the books. I tried to read the books. Mm. I tried to read the Hobbit, and I didn't get on with them at all. I just found the the the, the prose in the books were just very awkward to read. Um, it's not the first time um, I found books like that. There's a Clive Barker book, uh, Imagica, that I, again I couldn't get past page two. It was just very hard going to read it. And in terms of the the, the actual movies to uh, plagiarise Kevin Smith um, who pointed out that they're three films which are basically about walking um, so much so that even the trees walked they're basically I, I found them incredibly tedious and dull 
uh, the, I don't know about um, the mixed range of emotions that uh, Chris was feeling, but finishing the third movie at the cinema, the only feeling I was um, having going through my head was, God, when will this finish? Um, and after half an hour of false endings, because we had the Star Wars ending, the Wizard of Oz ending, the, oh my God, they're gay ending. Stop it. It was just a case of, you know, please end. And, you know, 10 minutes for titles and, oh... God, I like Peter Jackson's work before that. Um, I think The Frighteners is wonderful. I love Brain Dead. Even Heavenly Creatures, a super movie. But The Lord of the Rings, uh, I, it's a good job I don't have a packet of uh, um, razors whenever I go to sort of near those movies because, believe me, they would be blooded by the end of it. So not only did Seth hate the films, he hated the books as well. So we don't seem to be getting very far with that one. And to be honest... It didn't um, shock you. <laughs> No, it didn't shock me in, in, in the slightest bit there, Seth. But to be honest, I never got round to reading the books because, like, like Chris said, I, you know, I tried to pick them up when I was uh, a lot younger and it was just way above my head um, at that moment in time. And I never got round to watching the books. Uh, watching the books? Watching the books? I never got round to reading the books um, before the films came out. Went to see Fellowship and um, didn't enjoy it one little bit. Um <sighs> It just it, it just didn't work for me, unfortunately. However, I persisted with it. The following Christmas, I went along and saw the second film. It was only then that, that I, I really started to get into it. But I've never gone back to the books. Uh, and I've never given the books um, a second look, to be honest. So moving yeah, on. I, I think a lot of people seem to believe that at some point in their life, they must read these books. Um, well, no, stick with the films. If you haven't made the effort yet, you may find it's a bit of a... I, I don't know, a disappointment, because they are so hard to read. You know, that sounds a bit a bit immature to say that, but they, they're not that gripping, I don't think. And uh, But on the plus side, the wealth of imagination that Tolkien had was certainly put, on, put up on screen there by Peter Jackson in a totally immersive and believable fantasy world. The, I mean, you, you can't dismiss the fact that fantasy as a genre, especially wizards, elves trolls, ogres, that kind of thing it, it takes a huge leap of um, you know, of, disbel- of, of, sorry, of, of disbelief suspension to, to manage to buy into one of these sagas, but you know Peter Jackson nailed it there I think, we had everything it was, the emotion was there, the characters were well drawn, you had backstory without being too waffling you had action aplenty and you know what a, what a depiction to throw up on screen there. That was just an amazingly realistic world that he created. The whole thing was a, a monumental undertaking. And I can literally appreciate every second of, of footage in those films. Um, so we are literally talking from different ends of the spectrum, me and uh, Mr. Gecko. Um, but I do appreciate his, uh, his opinions, though. <laughs> appreciate That's the first <laughs> nicest thing you said. <laughs> so there we go. Seth Gecko as always, hates the film and hates the books. Chris likes the film and didn't, really, didn't really get along with the books. And uh, I've given you my reasons why I haven't read the books but like the films. So we'll move on to Kaz. What do you think, Kaz? Well, in terms of Tolkien, I've only ever read The Hobbit and uh, it was enjoyable when I was young, but I never really, it never really progressed on to reading all of the, the further books, the Rings books. So I can't comment on the books, but uh, given given the sort of standard of The Hobbit, I, I have no 
particular reason to go out and forage through the thousands of pages. In terms of the movies, I did enjoy them, but I think there's been such a rings following that everyone adores them so much that it's put me off slightly. Of all the DVDs I have in my collection, I don't have the you know mammoth four-hour extended cuts. I, I have never invested in them. So I, I enjoy the movies, but that's as far as it goes. I think it, it possibly doesn't deserve the furore that it has claimed for itself. Well, I've read, I've read The Hobbit too, and uh, not not The Hobbit Part Two. <laughs> Hobbit Two, Judgment uh, Day. <laughs> Hobbit Two, the extended cut. But and The Hobbit was definitely more for kids. Very, very enjoyable. I have to say, I quite liked The Hobbit. But the Lord of the Rings books themselves are very, very far removed in style, and um, uh, certainly in, in story context as well, because they're, they're such vast um, epics. And the Hobbit's a very small, sort of bumbling little adventure, isn't it? And, uh, and, and very cool and very action-packed. I mean, for Tolkien, those books have a lot of action in them, whereas the, the Rings books, although the action is mentioned, it's never really described. So, yeah, I'd have to say that uh, The Hobbit really isn't a, a good thing to base your opinions in the movies on, to be honest, unless you've actually read the books of The Rings themselves. And I'd love to see a film version of The Hobbit, which let's hope Mr. Jackson, obviously, um, Seth, you will disagree, you won't want to see this at all, but... Uh, uh, yeah, I think I'd be looking forward to a, a big epic version of The Hobbit. Okay, then, so so let's leave the fantasy side of things now, and let's move on to some thrillers. And the main one which comes straight to my mind is the Tom Clancy books. Uh, there's been loads of books and plenty of films which have followed those. So what do you guys think, think of the Tom Clancy thrillers, especially the Jack Ryans? I, I personally love the, the character Jack Ryan. And I love his evolution in the books. I mean, I, I, I didn't read the tail end of the books, but I'm pretty sure they eventually made him president. And um, I really liked how he went from a desk analyst and sort of reluctantly promoted up the scales by getting into increasingly important adventures. Um, the, uh, the books I read were Patriot Games and Hunt for Red October and Some of All Fears. I didn't get much further than that, although I can see sitting on my cupboard is, the, I think, The Bear and the Dragon. And in terms of films, of course, I think that I think you should really go with Harrison Ford as the, as the embodiment of Jack Ryan. But in terms of um, film interpretations of Jack Ryan's stories and the Tom Clancy books, you could possibly go for The Hunt for Red October. It's one of the best, probably because it's got Sean Connery in it. Um, they differ a great deal from the books. The books have got a huge amount of uh, technical information and background into the weapons and the characters and the organizations and everything that's going on. Immensely researched, very, very interesting, makes up thousands and thousands of pages of reading. Um, they have to scrap, scrap a lot of that to make them into the movies, but they manage to retain enough to make them decent, intelligent thrillers. And in terms of the ones they produced, uh, I have to say I don't really rate the sum of all fears at all because whilst it's a, a sort of okay thriller, it doesn't fit in with the Jack Ryan timeline at all. It doesn't make any sense for him to suddenly have become younger, for him to be back at a desk, and for James Cromwell to be still playing the president who he effectively ousted and at the end of Clear and Present Danger. Anyway, it doesn't fit for me, and of course Ben Affleck, he really doesn't help things. So, um, so in terms of the uh, the other movies, I like Hunt for October, 
and I enjoyed Patriot Games. Uh, clear and present danger, it was good, but I don't think it, don't think it compares as much to the other two. Um, and that's, that's your Jack Ryan, Tom Clancy for me. Um, if you can go books versus films, um, the books are outstanding. The films are sort of half and half. You've got a couple which are, which are pretty much meeting the standard of the books and a couple which just aren't. But I hope that they do manage to find a way of bringing it back, bringing the adaptation back into life after what happened with Ben Affleck. I suppose that's one of the big things. Uh, when you've got a book, you can have anything up to three, four, five, six hundred pages. Whereas a screenplay, we all know a screenplay has to be 150 pages or less. So there are going to be things missing from, 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 from the films. There's, there's going to be subplots and so on that they have to get rid of, isn't there? Sacrifices must be made when uh, transferring most books to, to a cinematic adaption. I'd like to talk about the uh, Robert Ludlum books of Jason Bourne. I mean, they are... I only read those books after I saw the first Bourne movie, but and great as those books are, they're huge. They're very, very complex. The, the plotting is unbelievably um, you know, difficult to unravel. Uh, a lot of incident happens. They're jam-packed full of stuff. So, obviously, they're bestsellers. They did cry out for a cinematic treatment, but obviously you'd have to make a lot of sacrifices there to bring that to the screen in some sort of some sort of order. And uh, otherwise, it would be like Lord of the Rings style extended cuts, to be honest. So a lot of stuff was changed around. And uh, from my personal point of view, I think that the films actually exceed the books. Although the character's been changed quite drastically, he's a lot younger for one thing, um, and a huge lot, amount of espionage and travelling about has been ditched in order to keep the films tightly tightly paced, well plotted and uh, exciting and I think they did a, a bang up job on the two of them so far and oh, I look forward to part three, the Bourne Ultimatum by the way, which is the one book of the year the series which I couldn't finish because it actually began to bore me, that's neither here nor there I look forward to the next movie anyway Well I t- completely agree with the, with the Bourne films um, I only started dabbing into the books after having seen the movies and uh, I, I started the Bourne Ultimatum, and I started the Bourne Ultimatum. I just couldn't get into it. Um, <laughs> I don't know whether it's because of seeing the movies, you see a particular character, and you see things move along quite fast, as you already stated, but, it, but the book just doesn't work that way. And so um, it just it didn't, uh, it didn't pull me in enough. Um, I'm really looking forward to the next Bourne movie i think it's um it perhaps went in the direction that bond should have gone in and perhaps now has um and it was a great alternative to bond back in the days when, when it first came out so i can't remember was it 2002 for the born identity yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a few years back and uh, it was amazing just a proper spy work no gadgets but um intelligence uh, technique it was just Spot on for me, and quite dark a, as well. Yeah, there was a dark sort of 70s um, gritty nihilism as well, wasn't there? Uh, you didn't really, no one was really a good guy. Your main hero was a guy you didn't know his past, you knew he was a killer. Could you trust him? You could trust the, the new revamped version after he's finally, you know, he's come round, he's trying to suss out his, um, his past. But you know, this is a guy that, you know, there's a darker agenda there. So you had that 70s anti hero stance about it as well. And it was it was shot in a very gritty sort of handheld way, which is which worked well for this particular sort of story. 
Um, again, yeah, back to the books. Well, Born Automaton, yeah, the same problem uh, I had with the cast because it was just, I don't know, the, the plots are too dense. I think the, the films, they, they, they've got a, a fair bit of complications to them. They tell the story correctly and they, they hook you, they drive, you, know, you, you drive along with it. But the books, they, they, well, they tend to get bogged down. The first two were great, yeah, good reads. and um, But again, let's not forget, they were written quite some time ago. So it was uh, a lot of it was Cold War, which of course the the, the Bourne movies uh, they're up to date. They haven't got that kind of uh, attitude or stance about them. So you mentioned Bond there again. Uh, well, yeah, at the time before Casino Royale, the uh, the Daniel Craig version, Jason Bourne was the uh, the super spy to end them all. He he was the one we wanted to see. He was exciting. He is exciting. Um, he is also quite believable. And most bizarrely of all, that Matt Damon could pull it off because he, when I first found that he was going to be the guy, I hadn't read the books at the time, but I knew the people who had, and they were, oh, they couldn't believe not this guy, not that toothy grin, not that crop top. He's too, he's way too young. Well, compared to the Jason Moore in the books, yeah, he obviously is way too young. But boy, does he pull the role off though? He's made it something of his own, hasn't he? I didn't read the books. Um, it's not my genre um, for, for literature. Um, to be honest, I enjoyed the movies for what they were. Um, they were the, sort of the complete opposite, you know, 180 degree turn from uh, the spy that was depicted in virtually all the Bond movies. Uh, I can't mention Casino Royale because um, I haven't watched it. Really doesn't hold that much appeal. I have to be honest. Um, it, it it just doesn't. It's like uh, another bloody Bond movie. Yeah, um, but this is the Bond movie that that people who don't like Bond would still enjoy. You really should give it a go. Yeah, it's not what you. We'll it's not. About it. It's not what you think. <laughs> so, talking about Bond, Ian Fleming's novels. How how did they translate to the screen then? Well, I've read them all, and I've recently read a few of them again with uh, the, the, my present Bond mania. The, yeah, the books are good, but the books are written from a certain perspective, a certain era. Uh, this again, Cold War is predominant. Bond is a very sort of. He, he's not the action-packed guy that you see in the movies. Uh, in fact, it's, it may be a bit, a bit of a disappointment if you're a fan of the Bond movies and you haven't read the books to suddenly go back to Ian Fleming's original novels to find that this guy is not quite the one you've seen in the movies and you, you know, and you like so much. Um, but the books are very well; they are very well written. The plots are, are they, they grow in outlandishment you know, throughout the series, but they are very well written. Ian Fleming certainly, well, how well or not you how true or not his uh, his background with uh, the secret services and uh, he worked with for routers obviously but he did he did get into government agencies as well well but his back his background certainly the stuff that he comes out with it's it's believable from the era yeah and uh, and they are entertaining fast-paced reads the movies well i love the films <laughs> i mean I, I yeah so for me i'd rather dip into the film than the book but I must just add that um, Casino Royale, having recently just reread it again, um, you'd be surprised how well that the new movie follows the book. Okay, you have bombs, bombs, you know, being driven into planes, and you have action set pieces and free running across cranes and through building sites. Well, they're not in the book, obviously, but most of what you, what you read in the book happens in the movie. The dialogue is even very similar. And uh, the most infamous torture sequence from any of the Bond series is back in there, and the the slightly controversial ending, shall we say, that's still in there as well. 
So I, I was very, very impressed that they, they followed the book that well. And it does not bode well for the rest of the series. Okay, before you leap in, there's no more books that Ian Fleming wrote that they can do. But if they keep on with this style, this gritty hard edge to it, and realism, then, you know, you will, you will, you will see a great new Bond develop. Okay, so let's wrap this up for this evening. And we'll move on to the subject which gave rise to this idea for a conversation. And it was actually brought up by Kaz a couple of weeks ago uh, when he reviewed The Da Vinci Code. And that was Dan Brown's book, very popular book, which was made into uh, made into a movie by old Gingerhead from Happy Days. And his name's just gone out of my head for a second. Ron Howard. Ron Howard. <laughs> There we go. So, so Kaz, he, hasn't, he hasn't got much ginger left on his head, has he? No, he hasn't. So, Kaz, um, we'll let you wrap this up with uh, with the Da Vinci Code. Well, I, on uh, on watching the movie and then going back and rediscovering the book, um, I found that uh, it's one of those movie adaptations which, at least in my opinion, got the book all wrong. It uh, gave away a lot more than it should have done too early on. It uh, threw away certain characters just because it, it felt they weren't important. And it didn't build up the tension or the character that you had with, um, with the book. And uh, it's, it's a great shame because it feels like the popularity of the book made a movie necessary. And they didn't fully think about what a movie would entail, as in so much being cut out of the book. It's the kind of book where you could have made a a TV series, an HBO TV series on it, really properly glossy well done, but um, telling a lot more than than just what you can tell in a couple of hours. So I was very disappointed by the movie, particularly on discovering the book afterwards. It just, and the book isn't as great as everybody says it is, but it's it's still good, and uh, it deserved better than the interpretation that it got. I personally, I, I read the book before seeing the movie, because everyone else seems to be reading it. And I was even given the the great big hardbacked version with all the illustrations in it as well, the collector's edition they called it. Well, I say read the book. I probably got about five or six chapters into it and then threw it down because I thought it was one of the worst things I'd ever read. I thought the writing was absolutely deplorable. The film, I can't comment because I haven't seen it. Uh, I had no intention of seeing it because of the... Uh, well, I just don't want to see it. The book was awful. I, I couldn't imagine sitting through the movie, and I've heard it's pretty bad as well. I wouldn't give it shelf space myself. I wouldn't give it shelf space. I wouldn't. Um, no. I was going to say compared to, <laughs> compared to Chris's verbosity over the subject, um, I think I can summarise it in in a few words, um, which is basically <laughs> wouldn't give it shelf space either as a book or as a DVD. And this is where obviously opinions differ because I read the book, thoroughly enjoyed it, and watched the film and didn't think it was particularly bad. Although um, <laughs> there, there was certain certain setups which just didn't work, and, and as Kaz said, they let things out the bag far too easily for a thriller. Um, they should have kept things going a little bit more. Um, but as far as I was concerned, enjoyed the book. Film wasn't too bad. Anyway, that's been um, our round table for this evening. And I think, well, I don't know what conclusions have we have we drawn from this then? Generally, the book is better than the film, but a lot of films we've seen of books recently are pretty good. Yeah, the old adage about the uh, the book being better than the film, I, I don't think is holds as true today now. Yeah, I think either they're getting better at, make, at making adaptions, adaptations, or uh, 
books are getting worse. <laughs> I don't I don't really know what the answer is. Seth? I think it's a mixed bag. I think some books probably work better as movies because of the pacing um, required. I think some bo uh, books work much better as a novel um, because of the reader's imagination um, as well as the, the, the actual timing of how the, the story unfolds. And I think that's been evident on certain um, ones that we've mentioned here from the Da Vinci Code um, through to the um, Tom Clancy ones and the Stephen King ones. Horror is my genre, so Stephen King's books are, are generally better than the movies, with a few um, uh, very notable exceptions. With a very few exceptions, um, but the, 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 from my perspective, um, more than anything else, is I always find that King's novels start off great and finish weakly at the end of it. it it's very much a six of one and half a dozen of the other, and the best part is, is we didn't mention Harry Potter once. Yeah, we didn't, <laughs> yeah. did we? But yeah. before we go, obviously. It's uh, coming up to Christmas, so I just want to take this opportunity to wish the listeners to the AV Podcast Software Edition a very Merry Christmas from myself. And, for, and from me, yeah, Merry Christmas, stay safe, have fun. From me, Happy Christmas, Happy New Year. And if I didn't say bar humbug, it wouldn't be me. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Well, a Merry, Merry Christmas to you guys as well, and we will be back in the new year with some more blatherings. Made by enthusiasts. For enthusiasts. Wow, a free movie, thanks. This is the AV Podcast. If you'd like to leave us your feedback or suggest a subject we can cover in our future episodes, please leave us a post in the podcast forum over at avforums.com. Or get interactive with us and leave a voice message. Just dial 0208 123 9587. If you prefer to write, you can always send an email to podcast at avforums.com. Manufacturers and distributors should send your latest news to feature in our podcast. Just email your press information to news at avforums.com. And that just about rounds up this week's podcast. This is Jason Bradbury saying thanks for listening. Stay subscribed and tell your friends. The AV Podcast was presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Player Review Team were Chris McAnini, Kaz Harlow, Simon Crust and Seth Gecko. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.